There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? I'm ready to go as well. We're all ready to go. Ready to go. New show in the new studio. New studio. Ready to do it. Just three buddies starting from nothing. Uh. And now we got a storefront in where... Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. We're out here. This is what my father always dreamed. What would happen? All right, it's being out here, being a small-time businessman. That's the that is the the New York dream. Yeah, and we we're covering a man today who was living that dream. He had it all in front of him. Uh-huh. He had a, he had a whole empire of shoes in front of <laughs> oh, him. And what did he choose the to show do? Now? What did he choose to do? Snippity snip, cut the penises off a bunch of little boys. <laughs> And ruin all of it. How disappointed would your father be, Marcus, if he found out he did it? You did that instead of throwing away a good business. Extremely. Yep. Yeah, I think so. All right, everyone. This is the last podcast on the left. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Henry Zabrowski, he traveled all the way from Los Angeles to christen in our new studio. Oh, here we go. Look at me. Uh, you see what I'm doing? Uh-huh. Rubbing my fucking asshole I on this new chair. Are these chairs from a sponsor? Yeah. Which chair? Which spot? I can't remember. Oh wow! They're a great spot. They're a great <laughs> so sponsor. And they're very nice chairs. Oh, I'm getting a tingle rubbing my bee hole against it. Yeah. Um, speaking of rubbing bee holes, this story is going to be. I'm going to call it a bit of a. A whopper. <laughs> it's a whopper. It's a whopper. Um, yes, we are here at a new studio in Brooklyn, so if it sounds a little bit different, perhaps that's the reason. Um, we always do this. We always do it. It's always like a new sound, a new vibe. It's like each studio is our new, like, you know how Willie Nelson has Trigger? Mm-hmm. It's like this is our, like... Old instrument, does that make sense? Oh, I see. That's his dog. No, no his guitar. No, he doesn't play. Yeah, he doesn't you know, play a dog. You know huh? the song he does where he's got his dog in his lap and he pulls its dick while it makes Oh, yeah, that's not how you get a dog to sing. Come on, you give it treats. Everyone knows that. Yeah, I did. But no, this is, this is it's nice. But this story yes. is something special. This story is something. Uh, it's, it's a bit uh, disgusting. A lot of folks have been wanting us to cover him for a long time, the fellow we're going to talk about. His name is Joseph Callinger. Actually, this... This is this is an underground topic, Kissel. Literally no. nobody knows what this is. <laughs> no, that's not true. What are you talking about? I've heard you guys talking about this for years. Yeah, me, yeah. Me and Henry have talked about it, but th- yeah. yeah, nobody knows about this guy. Oh my god. So you're telling me that you guys have perverted my brain to the point that I think everyone knows about this guy? Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's called being indoctrinated. You've been groomed to be a true crime nerd. I didn't now. even know. I thought I swear to God, if you'd asked me that Joseph Callinger, I thought every Everyone was telling us to do this story. Nope. Well, you guys have ruined me. <laughs> you ruined my entire mind. Well, Joseph Callinger, a.k.a. The Shoemaker, was a wildly schizophrenic serial killer from Philadelphia who, along with his 12-year-old son, murdered three people and kidnapped nearly a dozen others back in the mid-70s. Um, nothing makes me more relieved that I am not impenetrably insane mm-hmm. than a story like this. I know I'm insane. Well, sure. You, you yeah. don't need to tell me. How sane I am. I don't need your compliments. Well, I am happy that you, you immediately clarified that you're that with yourself. Yes. <laughs> because, like, yeah, you are you are mentally insane. Yeah. But, yes, what a relief to not be in the throes of very deep schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, we're obviously not saying that schizophrenia leads to murder, nor are we saying schizophrenics or people with mental illness are dangerous because they and we 
are not. We are not dangerous. Not I am not dangerous. a dangerous person. You know, the more Marcus. you scream that, though, the more dangerous you sound. Mentally yeah. ill, yes. Dangerous, absolutely not. Definitely and not dangerous. Definitely not. No, I, I feel completely safe with Marcus Parks surrounded by knives. Now, we don't allow guns around. <laughs> but knives, I think that's fine. No they, ranged weapons. No ranged weapons whatsoever. But Joseph Callinger was dangerous. <laughs> now, it's hard to say whether or not he would have been a serial killer without having the delusions there to drive him, but the delusions definitely had an influence on the severity of his crimes. Certainly didn't help <laughs> Did when you not. got your delusions literally being his Mickey, right, from Rocky? Going like, get in there, Rocky, get in there. Right. If you have hallucinations that are doing that but about murder, that's not the coach that you need. That's not. Now, oftentimes with schizophrenia, people will have delusions of grandeur, though, right? Mm -hmm. Think of themselves as the second coming of Jesus Christ. Possibly. Did, didn't Who that, knows? Wasn't that something with you, Marcus, or another one of Believe it or not, in the stand-up comedy world we know a few people that might have so so-called mental illness well we have one um, we have so one friend we in particular definitely that, one that thought he was jesus for a while he yes did. he yeah. did he went off the rails and i actually went and i listened to some like kind of it was like there's one a youtube personality that does a lot of being like trying to transcribe the true symptoms of being locked into hallucination hallucinations both visual and audio and man it sounds fucking harrowing it sounds Ooh. rough a lot of that shit is that you see photorealistic shit right in front of you telling you to do stuff like set fire to your house which we're right. gonna go through in this episode and you're and you kind of like yeah like in a way it's yeah. almost like oh yeah that's real yeah mm -hmm. okay yeah horrifying well calendar was given plenty of chances to get treatment before and after his crimes began but time and again calendar was labeled as just fine and got dumped right back out into the streets. It's because mm. Joseph Callinger was a proud small business owner. And I really do believe <laughs> you think so. There's a part of it is that he didn't let anybody know what was going on inside his head. And every single time anybody asked him about how, how you doing, Joe? How's it going on? I know you've been accused of a lot of weird shit, but why it seems to be you you seem to be uh, constantly innocent enough. Why is that Joe? And he's just like, they just want to shut down my business. <laughs> they don't are saying that I'm trying to pull myself up on my bull strips. Because if you look at also, if you look at Joe Callinger, he looks like Allen Ginsberg of Alan Ginsberg were, played for the 49ers. Yeah, he's in much better shape. I mean, really not that unattractive of a character. Not by the 70s But all of his anyway. shit was on the inside. Well, not, that's not necessarily true because, you know, the thing is about it is that uh, his alias, The Shoemaker, actually had very little to do with his crimes. He was called The Shoemaker because Callinger mm. was an honest-to-God cobbler, one of the best in all of Philadelphia. And the thing is, he had a nickname in shoemaking circles. His nickname... Crazy Joe. I love it. When you're crazy by shoemaker standards, you got to be a bit out there. But this is what happened before automation. How many people would he have killed if a robot took his job? The fact that he was busy working a nine to five for the majority of days of his life probably saved hundreds of lives. Uh, but on the other hand, the uh, immense amounts of uh, chemicals that he inhaled while working on those shoes may have led to the bigger delusions. Maybe. So he could literally be a schizophrenic on the stand screaming the shoes made me do it and the judge would have to be like Technically, they did. The judge yes. was getting his shoes fixed by him. We were it literally goodness. happened in the episode. The judge was like, oh, well, he's really good at making shoes. He's like, they call me Crazy Joe because I won't stop at anything to make the perfect shoe. But also, at the same time, oh, my penis will not grow. Oh, my goodness. Just make the shoes, Joe. Just make the shoes. But that talent in shoemaking came with a price. 
Joseph was an uncommonly good cobbler because he was raised for the sole purpose of shoemaking. Sole purpose. <sighs> sole purpose. And as we know... It's a shoe pun. Marcus, <laughs> do you see what you did? Holy shit, I didn't. Wow. <laughs> Honestly, that's the sign of a true genius. Just accidentally being able to make puns. Stephen Wright is a multimillionaire for doing things like that on purpose. Well, as we know from a certain documentary that was just released, raising a child for a specific profession while giving them only abuse is a pretty good way to fuck up a kid. Mm. And that, of course, was the recent documentary about Doug Flutie. Love Doug Flutie. Flutie Flakes. Remember that? Oh, Flutie remember Flutie, Flutie Flakes. <laughs> yes. Where you add that single-minded childhood abuse to schizophrenia, and you got something extremely dangerous. Like Ooh. the album. <laughs> dangerous. It's really all coming together. Yes. So many yes. synchronicities. <laughs> but before we get to the story, let's acknowledge our source today. Our book for this series is The Shoemaker by Flora Schreiber, written with the full and complete cooperation of Joseph Callinger. It's a mm. co-production. It's a co-production. <laughs> yeah, it's me and Flora, but I'll tell you what, Flora wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Joe. Me, small-time business owner. I'm the best at making shoes. I'm also the best at killing the entire world. <laughs> I guess so. Now, the book is now out of print due to a lawsuit brought by the family of one of Callinger's victims because Callinger got a 12.5% cut of the royalties. But it is still well worth picking up one of the old used copies. Now, I would like to see Callinger on Shark Tank trying to make a deal with Mr. Wonderful, talking about how he's got a Listen great Listen to me. Premise. Look at your bald head. I got a full head of raven hair. It's absolutely <laughs> impressive. It's absolutely wonderful. Let me tickle your delicate feet. If I get the angle perfectly correctly, you'll be the king of the universe. And if not, I got to fucking cut your penis off. I'm sorry, Mr. Wonderful. 12.5% royalty deal. Walking out of the Shark Tank with a deal. Now, as far as serial killer origin stories go, Joseph Callinger's ranks among the worst. Just like it seemed as if Richard Ramirez's cousin Miguel was training Ramirez to be a serial killer, it seems as if the Callingers were trying to create an evil presence in this world. Mm. But the Callingers were not Joseph's birth parents. The sources are conflicting on who exactly his birth parents are, but Schreiber claims that Joseph was the love child of Judith Renner Skirty and a man named Tony Patelli. Hey, oh. they call me Tony Squirts, because all I do is the fun <laughs> part of making a kid. Oh, oh my goodness. A little Andrew Dice Clay for a dad. Oh. It's not, I mean, Andrew Dice Clay as a person is much different than his character. Absolutely not. I'm exactly the same. Oh, okay. my family is afraid of me. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Dice Man. I saw him outside of a Dunkin' Donuts once. <laughs> nice guy. No matter what the story is, though, Callinger was given up for adoption soon after his birth in 1936 and spent the first two years of his life at St. Vincent's in Philadelphia. Now, eventually, Joe was chosen for adoption by two hard-bitten Austro-Hungarian immigrants named Stephen and Anna Callinger. The two of them had immigrated to America separately, but found each other in Philadelphia and were married for 12 years before they decided to adopt a child just after they both turned 40 years old. You see, that shows you that life is not over at 40. You can have your kids. Mm -hmm. you, you can still you can adopt a kid. Yep. You can have your, your shoemaking business still going. I mean, what a wonderful, incredible, hopeful story this yep. is. <laughs> and, and of course, they met on the really exciting dating app just for Austrians. Oh, the Strudel new... date. Yes, yeah, Strudel. 
Little Date. I think it was it was also Cold Beef was yeah, another yeah. one that you could go to, and that's where they found each other. Well, little Joseph Callinger was not adopted out of any altruistic urge. Oh. Nor was he taken out of any desire on the Callinger's part to form a loving family unit. Oh. <laughs> For the Callingers, adoption was a practical decision, mm. a necessary evil because Stephen was as sterile as a mule. And that's just how I like it. <laughs> Honestly, this so- somewhere a mule is like, I'm actually quite Every full of it. Every sperm should be a corpse. <laughs> wow. See, Stephen Callinger had already been running a fairly successful shoemaking business in the Kensington section of Philadelphia. But without a child, he had no heir. Hmm. Nor did he have the free labor that it's having a child provides. Yeah. Yeah, now this is... I guess this is what's called old country thinking. Oh, yeah. I'm not particularly sure, but I feel like uh, even on some levels, like, yes, children were essentially sharded out into this world in order to help the farm or the borscht factory or the rock quarry. (laughs) I don't don't know. A borscht factory? I I don't know what they do. This is the old country. Now they have borscht, like, Easy pass. I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, yes, but, but this really isn't that uncommon. Children but, worked uh, back in the day. Yeah, but this was a little bit uncommon because you'd like to think they'd pepper in a little bit, like, a, give you, a, like, a I love you or give you, like, a, a little of a hug or do anything. They legitimately viewed this kid as workforce, and that is it. Yeah. From the moment Joseph was brought home, he began a lonely, solitary existence. He was never allowed to play with other children, and the only physical contact he received was from the back of his adopted parents' hands. And the Callengers were up front with Joseph from the moment he was able to understand why he was there. You're here to make shoes. That is why you're here. <laughs> That's such a, this really is a horror movie yeah. beginning here. In fact, when a neighbor asked Anna why Joseph was never allowed to play with the other kids, she said, quote, He is not here to play. He is here to work. We gave him a home and he must pay us back. I mean, honestly, that must really suck to have a negative relationship when you see shoes because you see every person has two but you and, and then I, how many people do you see a day but you and i have discovered when you're oddly shaped shoes is how we can be fashionable oh absolutely we can go get sneakers and that's fun and i have a nice like a normal shoe size you know what i mean so i can get many different varieties of sneakers and i take a lot of joy from shoes yeah sure it's got a kind of a subtle dig there on my not so normal shoe size we all have different bodies you know the internet provides and anytime Callinger disappointed his adopted parents in any way, they had a stock threat to hurl right back. If you don't behave, we'll send you back to the orphanage from which we rescued now, you. Now, I have a question, though. Can you really just do that? No, I, you can't just the, send the me orphanage, back. Is the, yeah, is the orphanage like, it's a 30-day return policy? You can leave a kid anywhere. I mean, honestly, I, guess. Like, I know you're not, yes, you're returning. You're not really returning into the orphanage, but you could definitely leave a kid outside of the orphanage, and uh, then eventually someone will come scoop him up, or he'll get hit by a truck, or he'll get put in a garbage can. I don't know what happens yeah. to orphans. You don't I know. know that it's all bad. Now, of course, Joseph got into trouble, as all kids do, and the things he got in trouble for were all normal parts of childhood, innocent stuff, but three incidents in particular led to another incident that fucked up Joseph for life. For fucking life. Forever. I, I don't like it. Life from your grave. Now, it probably doesn't come as a surprise that the Callengers were staunch Puritans in addition to being tyrannical monsters. Mm. So when Joseph, at five years old, came home one day asking what the word fuck meant, because he was in Philadelphia, 
He's going to hear the word fuck. West oh, Philadelphia, yeah. born and raised, on the playground is where he spent most of his days. <laughs> so he's out there seeing, hearing what these kids are saying. Yeah. Of and he didn't even say the word. He just asked, what does the word mean? Yeah. What does this mean? Daddy, is mommy, what does fuck mean? <laughs> and right. they, they beat him within an inch of his life. Mm. And you know what they beat him with, which is the thing I got thwacked with a couple times. On a calendar had a big old wooden spoon from the old country, yeah. right? She used to fucking beat him with this shit. And this is back when spoons were also used to fend off invaders from your home. Well, they <laughs> did have a double purpose. It yeah. literally had like carrots so deeply just kind of like burnt into the back of it that they were like a gauntlet. Right. Just fucking smashing you in the face with it. But that's, that is what he got beat with quite a bit and a leather strap. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And he, they beat him for being a dirty little boy because he said a dirty little word. And guess what that does? That plants a fun little seed in there, doesn't it? Saying mm. you're a dotty, you're a fucking dirty, naughty little boy. So I'm gonna beat you with this spoon, and that's a, and then you and you're and you're ooh, we're gonna punish your penis. Well, with any luck, you just become a chef. <laughs> um, but no, and this was back when spoons were. Remember when people used to buy things for life? This is what I'm saying. Like, this is our spoon. This is a family and then spoon. Like, Don't even look at another spoon when we go shopping. We have our spoon. The spoon if our smells. spoon knows that you looked at another spoon, that spoon is going to attack it's and kill us. Big, gross. Grimy spoon. Oh, it's I got know. a new American spoon. I love it. Well, a couple of months after the fuck incident, oh. Joseph got into trouble for pulling a little girl's pants down. I mean, it's a curious, natural thing. Kids do it. I never did it, but I, I never did it either. But some kids do it. So I guess. Sure. <laughs> I was told that some kids do it. <laughs> pants him, and then everyone laughs. Yeah, but again, he was labeled as a filthy, dirty little boy, and again, he was beaten. The third incident, mm. however, was not Joseph's fault at all, but it had the most dire consequences. When Joe was five years old, he got the shit beat out of him by a local bully, a girl. And while Joe was being treated for his injuries, it was discovered that he was suffering from a congenital hernia. Now, the Callengers had assumed that Joe had been beat up by the girl because he was once more being a filthy little boy. So, while Joe was admitted to the hospital to fix the hernia, the Callengers came up with a plan. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. As soon as they got little Joseph through the door from the hospital, they sat him down and had a talk about his little bird. Uh-oh. If, if you tell me that they put a face on the spoon, and they had the spoon, and they were just like, this is, this is Sarah the spoon. She wants to know about your little bird. Yeah, dude. It's I'm, close. It's disgusting. See, in the Callenger household, bird was their euphemism for penis. Oh, <laughs> really? Really? So they told Joseph that the doctor had not only fixed his hernia, but it also fixed his little bird. Yep. And when Joseph asked what had been wrong with his little bird in the first place, they told him that a little demon had been living inside. They're not I, wrong. I don't know. They're not wrong. They are wrong. I mean, I know totally to do as a kid, but now I I'm intimately know the little demon but, inside my bird, but we're friends. This is like, but he already... It, Obviously, schizophrenia. He was probably born with it. Yeah. Well, degree. we're going to. This is all planting. This is not how to do it. No, it is not. And they further extrapolated by saying that the demon makes your bird kit hard. And when it does that, the bird makes you do bad things, which will eventually cause the devil to drag you down into hell. Mm. So they told this five year old boy that Dr. Dally, who'd done his hernia operation, fixed it where his bird will never get hard. Yes. When Joseph asked exactly what the doctor did to his bird, his mother said, by Joseph's recollection, quote, It is a secret. 
But you won't have no demons in your bird because your bird will always be small, 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 small. Well, very theatrical for an Austrian mom. <laughs> but but honestly, uh, so they re- they're messing with this kid uh, this, in every possible way. But this thing, because really, was it's not even purposeful to him. It's trying to make him this obedient robot that had they viewed him as something that would never grow. Yeah. Almost being like, you are our property. You will take over the business when your father dies and that's how this is going to go you're going to be good at this we don't even really care if you get married we don't care whatever happens to you outside of this home because as far as we're concerned you won't leave right and this little bird being small the little emphasis on the little is what's going to drive joe callinger for the rest of his life yeah well, maybe um, you put a maybe you'll put some spaghetti strands on the spoon marry the spoon <laughs> yeah i mean it was the Callinger's opinion that their adopted son was going to grow up to be a sexual deviant and if he was a sexual deviant there's no way he's going to be able to run the store properly. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. That's the biggest problem. I see. So they these... don't understand sexual deviants run the most major businesses in the entire world. <laughs> so they seriously thought that if they fucked him up in just the right way when he was young, they could put a stop to all that. <laughs> <laughs> but just as it was with Ed Gein and his mother Augusta, all they did was make it a thousand times worse. See, right after the conversation about the bird, immediately after is when Joseph remembered having his first vision. Think about how scary this is. Mm. You just had this weird-ass conversation with your parents where they were like, we had to pay a special doctor to do a special operation on your little bird so that it could never be grown up ever again. And you're sitting there being like, even as a little boy, you understand the importance of your penis. It's yeah. your, you've, you've been feeling it. Yeah, it's going it. like, hey, buddy, hey, let's get going. Come on. Let's grow up, right? Let's grow up. But then all of a sudden, you look into the mirror. <laughs> that's, just, this, that's how my relationship is with my penis. <laughs> is it like Chucky? Yeah, we go out there and make some money, and we really go out there and give it to him. Give it all you got. Um, but I, you look in the vision, you look in the mirror, and all of a sudden, a f- your first photorealistic hallucination just projects itself in front of you. Mm-hmm. After the talk, Joseph walked upstairs and looked into the mirror. There, he saw his father's curved lip shoe knife floating behind him. Hmm. Slowly, the knife floated in front of Joseph's crotch and vanished. Whoa. Now, as far as punishment went, the Callengers didn't stop with the symbolic castration. Stephen had a homemade cat of nine tails that he fashioned out of leather and rawhide shoelaces that he used on his son on a regular basis. And it was made out of shoe parts. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Is that your Scary. own punishment, you're literally working on shoes all day, and then you get beat with shoe material every single time you say anything out of line. Yeah. And Anna got in on it, too. Once in the presence of a customer and friend who later told this story to Flora Schreiber, Anna hit Joseph in the head with the hammer four times for asking if he could go to the zoo on a school trip. Yeah, because she was like, what are you doing going to your pleasure monkey games in the middle of your workday? You should be writing and scribbling and you shouldn't be seeing the bats. You shouldn't be seeing the turtles. And then she starts beating him with a fucking hammer and then, right. puts, and then locks him in his room. And another time, both Anna and Steven together held Joseph's hands over a stove after he stole a roll of quarters so he could pay other kids to go to the movies with him because he was just that lonely. He was a fucking ghost kid. Yeah. And you see pictures of him at that time too. Big, 
wet eyes with dark circles around them. It's like dark, dark hair, stooped. He was tall for his age. Look at Kiss. Look what it did to his personality. It turns you into. <laughs> I don't this... even know. I can't make a shoe. I don't no, know. You have shoe. no skills either. At least they gave him you a know, skill. I mean, this I can. Where... I can. I, I can make. I can do. Uh, remember that. Uh, Remember Crusties? Uh, you know Crusties? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a about. hell of a pizza. It's a, it's a, it's a pizza that actually comes in like a, it's a, what do you call it? You would literally systematically emil- eliminated if this turned into a dictatorship. If America no, turned into a dictatorship, you would be one of those who would be like, it's oh, a, he's chaff. It's a, we can get rid of him. It's a powder and then you get a wet and then it Evaporated milk? Dough. You're talking about now, dough? Crusties dough. You're just yeah. talking about the concept of dough? I'm just saying I can make that. Well, it wasn't just inside the house that Joseph was abused. When he was eight years old, three older boys orally raped him at knife point in an empty metal tank that Joseph had been using for personal sanctuary. Well, because mm. that's a, this is a common now thread, is that he likes hiding in holes. And this was a place he used to go for sanctuary, and then now it's been turned for him by all these fucked up little boys. So predictably, when Joseph began to develop sexually at the age of 12, he did so violently. When he began to feel sexual urges, he found he couldn't help but pair those urges with fantasies of cutting open a woman's stomach or cutting off her breasts. And when those started making him hard, right, a part of it is that he realized, oh, this is because the doctor said always you'll never get hard. That's yeah. what the surgery was supposed to do. So this thing was helping him defy the orders of his parents. Yeah, I don't, yeah I don't think the doctor knew what his parents were telling no, him. No, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, but he also, but it also added like an extra layer because they told him a demon lived in your bird. We got an operation to get the demon out. And so when he started getting hard, when he said it's turned like 12 or so, he's like, Oh, the de- that's the demon. Yeah. They didn't get the demon out. So he right. had this implanted in his head that a demon was living in his penis. And then the schizophrenia kicked in. Yeah. yeah. And all this was also tied to the fact that Joseph was never, that Joseph never felt as powerful as he did when he was holding a knife. Even when Joe discovered pornography, he found he couldn't orgasm unless he had first stabbed the picture. Ding, 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 ding. Jeez. It's a bit of a, I would say, red flag. Yeah. That's what they said. It's oh, a red flag. Yeah. He also cut a hole in his wall using the same knife, which he can only hold in his left hand because that was his power hand. And he, he cut a hole in the wall because that's where he would sort of place his penis inside of to, in order to kind of uh, demonstrate the action of, of having sex. And then oh his my. father would discover it and come and fucking plaster it over it and beat him with the fucking cat of nine tails. Yeah, That's and then he'd cut the hole out again. And then the father would come and plaster it up. And he'd cut the hole out. It was this weird, like, back and forth thing. Interesting. They did a similar thing in the movie Porky's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my father's he favorite was also, film. Yeah, I know. And then they were also, um, they were beaten, but by the uh, by the female gym coach. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and Callender couldn't reach orgasm unless he was holding a knife in specifically his left hand. And soon, Joseph was bringing those violent sexual tendencies out into the world. When he was 12, he sexually assaulted a boy in pretty much the same way he himself had been raped when he was eight years old. Concerning this development, Joseph said that when normal things should have taken place, this quote-unquote other thing developed. And that other thing would only be exacerbated by Joseph's burgeoning mental illness. Mm. He said that the demon that had supposedly been removed from his bird when he was five began speaking directly to him. Audio. Uh-oh. He had audio hallucinations first, and they were frightening. And he's also too young 
to not understand that this shit's not real. Yeah. So all of a sudden he is just he's just like lost in this world of like he knows nothing but pain and now and he is obsessed with tiny penises. Right. Well, and his only friend is is his tiny bird, I guess. Yeah, dude. And that's, a, that I mean, right. honestly, that's all boys have mm. when they start. And then you learn to well, apply I, those friendships you, to humans. No, usually you do have friends. Well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. your first love is your penis as no, a little boy. No, I think no, that's I, you. No, that was, that's, that's you. just you. No, I did not hmm. fall in love with my penis. I'm in love with it. It's a strange way to. No, my friend's name was, my friend's name was Jason. My penis was like my Kramer. Uh, Joe had continued to assault boys in his neighborhood, and during one assault, he actually bit his victim's penis after the quote-unquote demon instructed him to chew it off. I know, but he, then this is a build-up. He had mm. been doing this, and then also kind of daring himself to go into this thing. We're seeing this very, very early. Yeah, but during that time, Joseph discovered something that actually seemed to make all those bad feelings go away. When Joseph was 13 years old, he discovered the joy of acting. Theater Ooh. saves another boy. <laughs> Theater can save lives. Oh, Absolutely. There's another, you know, actors are just so stable and reliable. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, this could be a dangerous comp. Uh, this could be a dangerous uh, combo here. He's, you know, with all the shoemaking and then the acting. But the shoemaking and the acting, that's fucking Daniel Day-Lewis, baby. That's oh, literally yeah. the best actor. Mm. He went, he quit acting in order to go to shoemaking. <laughs> Think about that. I wish Joe Callager had heard that story. Yeah, it could have helped, could have helped. So Joseph tried out for a part in a YMCA production of A Christmas Carol on a lark and was surprised when he was cast in the part of Ebenezer Scrooge. That was the fucking shit, baby. And he was even more surprised when he found he was damn good at acting as well. Now, surprisingly, his parents allowed him to participate. And on the night of the performance, Joseph brought down the house. He fucking was really good. So after the play, Joseph no longer wanted to be a shoemaker. He wanted... To be an actor. I got the chops. I got the look. I got the move. I got my little penis who's telling me all sorts of fun things about how to memorize lines. I got this. Yeah, you never know. But when he told his parents about his revelation the next day, because they sure as hell didn't go see him that night. Oh, they should have gone. They did not. No. All they did was mock him. They demanded that he act for them right then and there in the kitchen. So Joseph tried out a soliloquy from Hamlet. To me. <laughs> oh! Not to be mommy and daddy, can you see? Can you see me before I got tights on? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. And as he attempted it, his adopted parents sat there and heckled him, flicking water at his face the entire time. Von well, Star, yeah. Honestly, that is how you train a kid to get ready for the life of being an actor, which is almost more difficult than acting. Yeah. The life is the hard part with all the hecklers in the crowd and in life in general. And when Joseph, of course, didn't do very well... They forbade him from ever acting again because he had been adopted for one purpose. Shoes. shoes. Ah, it's still shoes. Shoes. Shoes, bitch. That always brings <laughs> me back to that, that old YouTube. Shoes. But since Joseph hadn't been socialized in any way whatsoever, he pretty much resigned himself to a solitary life mm. at like 15. Yeah, he's like, this is it. This is what I do. Yeah, he's like, this is what I do. This is my life. I get to go to the movies on Saturday morning and that's it. That so, was all he had. They let him go to the movies on Saturday morning. So he just became a grizzled, a grizzled, grizzled shoemaker at the age of 15, bending over, well, covered in dirt all day. They were hoping he was. Mm -hmm. But yeah. guess what, man? The heart wants what the heart wants. Yep. And one of those Saturday mornings when Joseph was at the movies, he met a girl named 
Hilda Bishop mm. and her romance somehow blossomed. Well, she was also really fucking weird. Yeah. When they met each other, he was uh he was essentially it's the love story from Adam's family values. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that really was nice though. That was nice. He is the what's his name's character, the Crumholtz character who was just this like my parents don't really let me out, and I can't do it very much for my yeah. best time. And Hilda was like, "Yeah, my my mom calls me a whore." You know what I mean? Like they were, and she was this weird, lanky chick with like brown teeth. And but they, you know, hey, two steps forward, two steps back, we come together because what? Opposites attract. Although you, know. you did say that both of them were the exact same. Oh yes, that's to right. be fair, yes. Uh, at first, it seemed like life was going to turn around for Joseph. He'd come into his own at the shoe store, and he'd got a work permit, which forced his parents to pay him. Hey, all right. Of course, now they charge him room, uh, rent for you know room and board, uh, but still, small victories. Mm-hmm. Small victory, and you know, if everything else wasn't so unbelievably messed up in this boy's life, that teaches some responsibility. Mm-hmm. Plus, things were going pretty damn good with Hilda. But around this time, Joseph's mind began to deteriorate. Ooh. Uh-oh. Out of nowhere, Joseph's body would begin twisting and turning like a snake, completely out of his control. Rise from your grave. Rise from your grave. Then came the laugh. Completely unprovoked, Joseph would begin giggling without joy. <laughs> Without yeah. joy. Without joy. Yeah, Schreiber described it as a gothic belly laugh. <laughs> so, yeah. But what was the point of it? What was? There, why did he do there it? There was none. He no. had, it just came out of his mouth. It was a tick. Yeah, it was like a tick. Like he said, it came from a completely different place and came without warning. He'd try to stop it. He'd put his hand over his mouth, but it wouldn't end. Huh. Okay, so... Yo, yeah, but it was not him laughing no. because he thought it was funny. No. It literally would come in these weird episodes. But you know those see... pe- But you know those people that just say, force yourself to laugh, and then you're going to end up actually laughing? That's scary. <laughs> no, that, but that's what people recommend. Who says this? I swear to God, people say, if you just force yourself to smile, force yourself to laugh, you will feel better because it releases certain chemicals in your brain. That sounds like B.F. Skinner shit. I like... don't know. <laughs> I've seen it on some blogs. Now, Anna and Stephen had definitely noticed that their adopted son had started writhing like a snake and laughing uncontrollably yeah. in the halls of their home. You they did, did notice, notice these kind of things. Yeah, yeah, you know, that. but instead of getting the kids some help, they just put a padlock on their bedroom door and started sleeping with a baseball bat. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Not unreasonable. Because at the time, they viewed him as... Almost, he immediately became an enemy. When they saw that he was having real trouble, the way they talked about him was being like, he's evil. Mm. He doesn't know what he's doing. He has no control over his body. He's evil and he is bad. And so they could not contemplate that he actually, uh, he might need like a reach out. Like he might need some help. Well, yeah, I mean... Getting help, that would require Joseph to leave the store. Yep. And even though the boy was slowly losing his mind, demonstrably losing his mind... Still one hell of a shoemaker. Got the touch. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the calendars just let it go. It's like, well, as long as he can uh, show up to the shoe store every day and do his work, who gives a shit? No, this is called what they do with Johnny Depp. <laughs> mean, like, well, he still got it. And they just do it. But even though he's propped up by two different, like, whatever those, like, A-beams are. Like, he's got C-clamps yeah. holding up his pants and shit. So soon after the writhing began, Joseph had his first full-blown schizophrenic delusion. Hmm. One day, as he was working in the shoe shop, a bright light appeared before him. And in the center was a figure that Joseph believed to be God. Oh, my God. So you're telling me, at this age, he is a shoemaker and he saw the Nike symbol? <laughs> in that bright light? That's incredible. What? 
That's the god of shoes. Well, that's for us. Some people like a Fila. Some people like no, a Reebok. No. We oh, like Nike. I like so New Balance. Look at him. No, that's just... That's you don't like New Balance, Marcus. You have to wear New Balance because you have frog's feet. <laughs> he does have flat feet. <laughs> that is why he but to wear You don't like them. He could technically go to a real shoemaker that doesn't do all the horrible things that this shoemaker will yes, actually I do. Know. And he will get you a little like insert you can put into a shoe if you want it. But just how too s- wide. All, all he had to do, all, all I'm saying is all he had to do was put a little swoosh. Take that. <laughs> Take some take some makeup, make a little swoosh, and now he's a multi-billionaire. Well, this is what Joseph later said the vision told him. Joseph Callinger, you are a special person, and you must undertake a special mission. Already through your orthopedic work, you are easing pain in the feet. The feet are also the key to the brain. Your mission is to control the brain through the feet. This is what I, God of the universe, command you to do. You will use this method to heal yourself and heal mankind. You must heal and save. I like that. I mean, honestly, Dr. Scholes, I saw a commercial. They said the exact same damn thing. <laughs> I don't even think he's a real doctor. But nonetheless, okay. I would love to see a schizophrenic version of Dr. Scholes commercial where it's just like God. Like, in my imagination, it's the cutout from Monty Python, like in the fucking cloud, just going uh-huh. like, heal your feet or in the universe. <laughs> But really, bad feet, bad brain. No, you're talking yeah. like a fuck. You're talking no, like Joseph Callinger. No. You've said I, several things. Have you not You've gone to a store lately and they have the foot map out? Or had, have you, th- as the palms are good for reading, you can also read one's feet. You gotta read these books before we do the show so you no, can I, see the slippery slope you're talking about. I watched a lot of YouTube videos. They did not mention these in the YouTube videos. No, no. Uh, they didn't mention that God spoke to him about his feet. Um, but, you know, I also, I, but there is some, you know, if, if you are if you got a bad toe. Uh-huh. My grand my grandmother yeah, used to, this is true, my grandmother used to do, used to, monitor my sister and I and she would go and she'd poke us under the table every single time she felt we were eating too much or doing something bad but another thing she used to do is we had our feet anywhere closer she'd grab my shoes by the toe and be like your shoes are too big they don't fit right <laughs> that's a that's a grandmother thing to do but that's also a really smart parent technique get them two sizes too large yeah you, you grow, grow into, into them. them yeah yeah we know that well after Joseph had that vision he now had a mission from God Ooh. and that mission something that he would work towards for the next 17 years. He would be the savior of the universe, and the instrument of salvation would be orthopedics. Honestly, man, this is just like the the Hudsucker proxy. I will <laughs> say. Everything turned out okay. It's true. <laughs> it, it, technically, it's, it's it might have been the way Steve Madden... Like, actually is, started. Like, it could yes. have been that, but it's not, Kissel. Salvation through shoes. No, it's not, though. I it's know just, it's not, but it's just, I actually think that's a. It's kind of true. It's a thing to think about. But the problem is that, does that, what we just said, does that sound really vague? You're correct. Yeah. Because it is. <laughs> because it's a nonsense mission from not God, the back of your head, which is not doing well. But you go back in the day, you got a niche market, you're selling shoes, salvation through shoes. That's a hell of a pitch. Sure, in 1890s, it, yes. No, in 1960. Uh, by this point, Joseph's parents were absolutely terrified of him. So their decision, just like the decision made by Richard Chase's parents, was to let Joseph Go off and move into a place on his own. Brilliant. This is kind of what we've sort of discussed. We've been talking about this as we were researching the show. We were like, oh my God, he's Richard Chase if Richard Chase could hold down a job. Yeah. 
With Richard, he's Richard Chase with the work ethic. So yeah. do you think that his Austrian parents just did not understand whatsoever how they messed this kid up and just thought to themselves, like, or talked about how they just did too good of a job of making him amazing at doing, at making shoes, of creating just the, the greatest shoemaker ever? They were uh, quite proud of that. And uh, yeah. they never thought that they did anything wrong. They're no. Austrian. I mean, well, yeah. they actually, they never were, they were fine with, Joseph Callinger's work, but to them, that was to be expected. Absolute excellence was literally just the bar. They were being real tiger moms about it. Uh Where they were like, they did not, you had to be A plus, because if not, why are you our son? We'll just take you back to the fucking orphanage. And they viewed him as evil. Well, this is why your father's technique of when requested to do something, he would, this is Henry's dad, Mm -hmm. he would do it really bad. Yeah, so you don't get asked again. And then you don't get asked again, (laughs) which I think is a great life lesson for every father to teach his son. And no way does that make him reliant on another person. And then that other person becomes really sick and tired of you not being able to do anything around yeah. the house. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're alone forever. No, you just have to make enough money where you could have a handy person come and fix the thing because <laughs> that's what you have to do. Well, 1953, pretty soon after Callinger moved out, he decided it was time to get married. Now, the Callengers didn't approve of Hilda, so they filed something called an incorrigibility petition what? to try and stop it. This is like old timey shit where you can really like children work sort of considered your property. Yeah, you can still file an incorrigibility petition, but it's just not done very often. It's filed when a parent essentially loses control over their child. It is getting the law to declare your child incorrigible. Incorrigible. (laughs) Okay. But since the judge couldn't see anything wrong with what Joseph was doing, the petition was thrown out and Joe was free to start a family of his own. Of course, the camera pans down and the judge is wearing some of those primo shoes. The <laughs> calendar had it in the bank. But as you might expect, Joe didn't exactly have the right training to be a family man. Mm. Not only had he spent most of his life in near isolation, nursing violent sexual urges... But he was also just 17 years old, as was his new wife. Because remember, during this whole time, he, every time he's been able to successfully have sex with Hilda, it is because he has gripped a knife in his pocket. He had either one mm. in his pocket, he had all stuff in order to get hard. He had to literally charge himself up to even make love to this woman. So that literally that old joke of like knife in your pocket, you're just happy to see me and just be like, it's a knife. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it, is the, it is the contraption from Seven. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Now, this started off as the best thing that ever happened to Joseph. They bought a house and Joseph went to work for another shoemaker oh. after promising to one day return to run the family business. And the father was all for it. He's like, go out, get some experience. Just promise to never open a shoemaking business in my neighborhood. (laughs) Okay. Then in 1955, Joseph and Hilda had a daughter and inexplicably named her Anna after Joseph's horrible mother. But that was when things took a downward turn. Joseph's household fell apart almost immediately. Him and his wife started constantly fighting. Hilda was constantly putting down Joe's penis size because it... It had it turned out to be very small. It was small. Uh, it was small. very small. Like it, it wasn't like medically small. It was a micro penis, but it was you know 
on the on the shorter side. It was well, enough uh, to bring it up. Yeah. You know, this is why he should have befriended like Bobby Dildo, who made dildos. <laughs> and then you can exchange shoes for dildo. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can have pleasure with a partner. The you ever thought maybe for a second your pussy's too big? <laughs> you ever thought maybe your pussy's too big? Well, he probably did do that. That's not that's not appropriate. Yeah, and they even they had another kid, which they again inexplicably named Stephen after Joseph's father. But that only made things worse. Yeah, it's just his children. Everything's a trigger. Yeah. Every time he has to call his kids, he's triggered about his past. Yeah, and it's also, but it, it's almost in a weird way of still searching for acceptance and love, even though you've been abused b- entirely. You're still like kind of giving this thing that you know that they'd want to try to see mm-hmm. if maybe we can normalize yeah, right, this shit. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Hilda had no maternal instincts whatsoever. She usually left the kids hungry, stewing in their own filth, just leaving them in dirty diapers all day long. Mm. And there's no mention of it in the book, The Shoemaker, but other sources say that Joseph was physically and mentally abusive during the marriage. And that's almost certainly true, that he was also abusive right back to Hilda. And that may be why Hilda left Joseph in 1956 for a man named Hans Ibler. And when he found her, when they were cheating, she just left. They were, she was so scared or unhappy to be with, uh, to be with Joe Callinger that she just lived in another dude's car. Lived, they had parked the car outside of a graveyard and she was just living in it. Yeah, I gotta do what I want. I do what I want. Look at this hatchback. This is my fucking funny ass hatchback. You get away from it. That's my home. Well, after that, the two of them filed for divorce and Joseph moved back in with his parents. Uh oh. Eventually, he got custody of the kids and took them by train to see their mother and Hans on the weekends. But on one of those train rides, Joseph met the woman who would be his wife until the day he went to prison decades later, Betty Baumgard. She was a, a lonely soul. Yes. Meeting another lonely soul. He came and he, I mean, I guess he dazzled her by being saying, like, I take a look at your feet. Maybe something I could do with it all because I feel like your toes are, you know, they're in line with the devil. And she's like, you're funny. Right. Yeah. Well, he's got the kids. He's got a job. He yeah. got custody of the kids. Well, no, I he mean, got, which is not common for the man to be able to do that. But at the time... It is a massive shame for a woman. What they called, they're like, "Oh, you're gonna marry, you're gonna marry this guy with some ready-made family." Yeah. Where they were like, they said it's like a shame for a woman to marry a man with kids already, because then it's like, "Oh, you're not gonna make kids your own." I kind of like it better that way, you know. <laughs> All out of the way. Yeah, just have ready-made family. It's perfect. It's like Krusty's uh, pizza dough. <laughs> Don't it's bring actually, up Krusty's again. It starts with a K. Krusty's. <laughs> As far as Betty knew, Joseph was a perfectly normal guy who was just going through a hard time. There were things that Betty didn't know about Joseph, even in their most intimate moments. See, Joseph had never gotten over the link in his brain between sex and knives. So he hid a small pen knife in a bookcase built into the head of his and Betty's bed. And when they had sex, every single time... Joseph would reach up into the bookcase and hold the knife in his left hand. Just to juice it up. Like it's spinach, like he's Popeye. (laughs) This is like when Costanza was trying to eat a sandwich in bed. (laughs) Uh, In Seinfeld, trying to combine his two loves. Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder if he could have just been up front with that. Because, I mean, people have weird fetishes (laughs) all the time. No, you're saying 2019. In 1956, they didn't know the word fetish. Yeah. It's also... 
hard to bring in knife play yes, in the I very under- beginning of a fucking relationship. I feel like you need to build. I don't know. Uh, no, I know. But maybe right? just a... Yeah. How do you bring up knife play? I don't know why you're asking me. I, I don't know who does <laughs> knife play. I'm sure that there are couples that have that kind of wild stuff going on. You're the on. kinkiest person I know before from the back in the day. True. So I wondered if you ever... But you don't stab people, no, right? I, <laughs> no, I never stabbed anyone. I'm just asking... Just asking questions. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Okay, so that's so. This is um. He just can't. He can't separate these two things. He cannot. No. Very bizarre. And when Joseph was twenty-two, right after he and Betty were married, he had his second major hallucinatory episode. A figure with a black cloak and a witch's hat appeared to him again as he was sitting at his workbench. So scary. This thing is fucking kind of unfolding itself in front of him. You're just like, like, it's like you stop and you stare. It's like one of those like weird scenes from like Mandy or something when the fucking sludge music comes in. Yeah. Yeah. The figure pointed to the space next to him and told Joseph to watch carefully. So as clear as a movie screen, Joe saw a vision of himself as a child with his two adopted parents. They were raking leaves, and once they were raked into a nice pile, Stephen set the leaves on fire. The flames grew and spread, and the more Joseph watched, the more excited he got. Then, when the vision was over and done with, the figure in black gave Joseph a command. Go home at lunchtime. And burn down your house. Oh, all right. So you this know, is the last thing he needs now is to just <laughs> let's bring fire into the mix. Well, you already love knives. It was one of his favorite memories as a boy watching the flames grow. Kissel, don't take this from him. Mm-hmm. But the bur- smell of burning leaves is not good. It mm-hmm. smells very bad. So when noon came that day, Joseph followed the instructions and went home. Once again, the figure in black appeared and flames shot from his mouth. Jeez. So Joseph went to a shed connected to the house, lit a match, and threw it in a can of paint thinner. And the whole time, Joseph was just as hard as the dickens. And that's oh the thing. Oh my goodness. It's that the turkey timer goes off every single time he thinks he's making a right decision. Yeah. So right. every single time he feels like he's like, okay, I'm on the Okay, I'm on the right track. This is fine. Because it goes and it's like as it pushes it's like mm. his full strength meter it's like I was playing Street Fighter 5 with Holden <laughs> and you see that little bar fill up and then you can do a special like move uh-huh. that was his penis yeah yes yes interesting and in fact Joseph was so excited by the idea of arson that when he retold the story to Flora Shriver talking about the ecstasy and the power of burning everything he owned Joseph came in his pants right then and there and she put that in the book huh yeah <laughs> Because if I was the author, I would have left that part out. I it's out, literally out of respect. him. Like the planes, they can pick up big and whoa. The planes, oh, tickling, tickling. It's like a bunch of feathers tickling the bottom of my feet. Oh, and he is fucking, you're in a jail cell. And you literally have fucking, your floor just like calmly staring, making notes. While the, the guards are all just trying to look forward as he's going, oh, it's going to go. It's going to go. Uh-oh. So after the house was gutted, Joseph and Betty moved into a house on East Fletcher Street in Kensington, and life continued along nicely with Joseph. Joseph, he started winning awards for his shoemaking skills. He's really? He's getting some medals. All right. Soon after that, he and Betty had their first of five children, a little girl named Mary Jo. But four months later, Joseph had an episode. He blacked out and ended up in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, 70 miles northwest of Philly, without 
any idea how he'd gotten there. Honestly, who among us has not blacked out and ended up in Hazleton? <laughs> that has happened to everyone in the world. I do remember when you ended up in the wrong hotel in, in uh, was it Oklahoma? Oh, Indianapolis. Yeah, in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, that does happen. But he was a. This is isn't it? Was it? Isn't it called dissociative fugue, or is that old school shit? The well, the thing is about the uh, author Flora Schreiber. Uh, she also was the author of Sybil. Yeah, uh, and a lot of the claims that she made in Sybil concerning uh, multiple personality <sighs> disorder uh, were, I mean, not necessarily debunked. It's just kind of been uh, like shifted to the left a little bit. Okay. Like it's not like it's yeah, dissociative uh, episodes and things like that. And dissociative uh, disorder, as it is, is not schizophrenic. Like it's not schizophrenia. Like multiple personality disorder is not schizophrenia. They're two extremely different things. I mean, it's I know a complex. It's, thing. I, I know it's complex, and it's just one of. But but amnesia is a weird symptom, right? Can amnesia that can amnesia can be a part of schizophrenia. Okay. Right. So Joe was found and was hospitalized for nine days. He was eventually released, but since he got no help whatsoever from the state, he figured it was up to him to, quote-unquote, correct himself oh. through <laughs> orthopedic experiments. Come on, feet. We're doing this from the heels up. He really thought, I'm going to go to my thing, and I'm going to make the perfect pair of shoes. Hmm. And when I get these perfect pair of shoes on my feet, not only is my family going to love me, my, my parents are coming back, I'm going to be completely adjusted. We're going to fucking, we're hitting the top. We're going to be the new Dr. Scholes. <laughs> Fuck Dr. Scholes. Well, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like in some other world he could have been the My Pillow guy. Who, <laughs> He's you know, doing great. I don't know if you know what the My Pillow guy does, though, now. He says, doctors recommend a good night's sleep is the best thing for your health. And what's the best thing for your good night's sleep? My Pillow. <laughs> so theoretically, he's trying to say that My Pillow is the best thing for your health. Wasn't but he if addicted? you do, if you are sick, just my pillow was not going to save you. Wasn't he <laughs> addicted to crack cocaine? He was for a little while. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Joseph was fully and totally convinced that all of his problems and the problems of the entire world could be corrected by placing a wedge in the heel of a shoe that would adjust the slant of his foot to harmonize with the function of the brain. Mm. Again. Great sales pitch. I'm walking into the store without a cool pair of shoes. I'm walking into the store just half-brained, and then I talk to this guy. I'm walking out full-brained because he gave me the right pair of shoes. Oh, you're my biggest customer. So I'm so happy to see how many gallons of shoes I can make to fit your huge, humongous, oh, beautiful feet. Look at this. Now tell me, my fellow schizophrenic customer, uh, do you want to also wear a pot on your head, or uh, do you want to maybe introduce me to your friend Thor that's standing next to you, or... uh, I'll do the pot on my head. Okay, let's do this. Yeah, thank you. Live from your grave. Live from your grave. But Joseph's obsessions went beyond just feet. He became obsessed with bowling and installed a 12-foot-long, 4-foot-wide bowling alley in the room where he and his wife slept. He's All becoming right. more and more like Michael Jackson. <laughs> Each movement, it's like, it's like like all night, him bowling in the room, being like, ah, 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 my toe went over the line, no, no, no went over the line. It really is remarkable. If you tell me next that he starts a group called No Ma'am, he is becoming Al Bundy as well. Bowling, yeah. shoes, mm-hmm. hatred, it seems, of women in general, it's all coming together. And he also started filling the house with junk. See, Joe always had a thing for discarded objects, so he filled his family's home with various pieces of machinery and electronics that he found in the garbage. He mm. thought he was he thought he was adding more projects. Yeah. 
He thought it was that he would bring like these huge, gigantic, like ten foot long pieces of machinery and just right. plop it down in the living room and say, "Deal with it." Meanwhile, now, meanwhile, Betty is like, "Be like, he's he's so funny." <laughs> she, I don't know what this woman's shit is. And his family continued growing as well. A few years after Mary Jo was born, along came Joey, Michael, and Jimmy. But at the same time, the hallucinations continued, specifically hallucinations about fire. A voice from the darkness that Joseph knew was the devil kept telling him, set fire to your house, set fire to your house. Mm -hmm. And he did it four times. Just one time you want to hear the counterpoint, (laughs) put the fire out in your house, put the fire out in your house. Now, is it possible, and this is like totally an ignorant question here, but is it possible that he could receive things that were less negative every now and again? Of course he did. He had the the mission to save the entire world through orthopedics. That's that's good. It's still not good No, because you're not going to do it so what we're going to find out is that you're setting yourself up for a fall Honestly, it's not good but it's positive no and it's also actually kind of real orthopedics have greatly improved society mm-hmm. it would be really nice to hear just one being like go run a half marathon <laughs> why not that would be a good one now the first three fires that joe set in his home didn't do much damage but on the fourth when joseph was 30 years old he finally pulled it off and burned his own family's home to the ground hard as the dickens mm. he was charged with arson but never did any time and so with nowhere else to go joseph bit the bullet permanently moved back into his childhood home and took over his father's shoe shop for good uh-oh think about this this was your prison as a boy. Yeah. You got out and you built this whole other life, right? Now, you moved your parents out. They left. So it's now your house. Right. But you are a deeply ill human being that is now replacing your own parents in your mind. Mm-hmm. And you're becoming this, the, you get this like power complex. You literally defeated this one section. Now you are the shoemaker. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it only made the trauma worse because, I mean, Joe was, you know, let's say unstable. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. To oh, it, it sounds like it. Yeah. Well, he continued his experiments to try to help, but each experimental heel that he tried needed a test walk. So Joe would go on long walks in the middle of the night, but Joseph got lonely. So he'd shake his kids awake and force them to go on walks with him. And to make it interesting, he turned the walks into garbage hunts. Garbage hunts! And this is where Marcus was first being like, actually, this kind of sounds like fun. Yeah, you get to be woken up in the middle of the night by him going, wake up, wake up, it's time to test my feet, it's time to test my feet. And then they go out there back and forth walking and him going like, I'm not well yet! I'm not well! Yes, garbage hunt. This sounds kind of like an episode of Bob's Burger. I could see the whole family loving to go on a garbage hunt. And whenever anything interesting was found, it was brought back to the house on a little red wagon and got added to the pile. Now, Betty never went on these walks, but she had a different part to play. Her job was to bring Joe tea while he was working on his experiments, cup after cup, sometimes as many as 30 cups a night. Wow. Pretty soon, the paranoia started to take hold. Joseph became terrified that someone was going to get his kids like they got him, or get his wife like Hans Zibler had gotten Hilda, mm-hmm. or that someone was going to break into his house and steal his experimental ideas. Because he was the king of this castle. Because right. he was the king of this castle, and no one was going to come in, and he was going to ruin his... Fu- like He needed to establish dominance. I mean, you know, I... Uh... 
Did you ever see Flubber? <laughs> Do you remember what they did to this Jerry is... Lewis's character in Flubber? They this... stole everything from him, using him on the basketball court. And that was really, that helped him win a championship. This truly is a fucking X-rated, horrible version of Flubber. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Joseph turned his house into a fortress, what he called Joseph Callinger's Castle. All the cellar windows were covered in steel, and every window from the first floor up was covered with hinged steel gates locked to the side of the house. Mm. Some windows were even bolted with flat steel plates and covered in cement. Now, you're also, you're his customer, right? Let's say you're in Philadelphia, playing some b-ball on the street. You look and you see... The shoemaker every day that you enjoy, Joe, and he, you know, like he did a great job for your wedding shoes. Yeah. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, uh, sure. you know, and he's doing a great job and he's up there and he is fashioning the front of his home with gigantic Fort Knox style steel plates that he is soldering and cementing into his front of his home. He's like, that's why I make sure no one steals my brain ideas. <laughs> and you just have to be like, cool. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Shoes are be ready by Friday. By Friday. I'm absolutely <laughs> obsessed with them. I made my wife psychic. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Cool, cool, all right. Well, they're great, great <laughs> shoes. You know these companies, they keep their secrets under lock and key. They do. And this paranoia didn't stay inside the house. Joe started having paranoid delusions about his neighbors. He imagined that the building across the street, where state representative Harry Cummer had his offices, was actually a secret CIA outpost specifically put there to spy on Joseph Callinger. You know, everyone made fun of Tom Hanks from the Burbs. He said, oh, they said, you're being crazy. There's no way your neighbors are murdering people, putting them in their furnace. And what were they doing? Murdering people and putting them in their furnace. Also, let's be honest, Harry Cummer. Yeah, something's going on. I, I don't think, think this name, guy is on the up and up. That's all I'm going to say. I think his name is pronounced Comer. <laughs> Whatever. Honestly, I think his name is pronounced Comer. You're, you're probably right that it is probably not Harry Comer. I am Representative Harry Comer. Um, vote for me or you'll know, you'll know why they called me that. Now, Harry Comer had actually known Joseph since he was a baby. And when Joseph had gone to trial for arson, Comer was a character witness. Being like having to go into court and being like, Joe's a good guy. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure why he burnt down his own house because they were like, there was no insurance for him to get. He got insurance from another building of his that he burnt down. He burnt down a shed that he owned. But they were like, so there's no really any reason. He's just like, I've got to do it to have sex. And it's like, he's just stressed out. Yeah. Interesting. But nevertheless, Joseph started smashing Comer's office windows in the middle of the night with ball bearings. This is what happens when you... F- <laughs> this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass, This is what happens. I actually like the TV version This is better. what happens when you meet a stranger in the ass. <laughs> <Yeah, that one. laughs> And Comer was none the wiser. <laughs> I just <did laughs> Comer, sorry. Comer. I keep saying Comer. I, how's it spelled? C O M E R. That Comer. can go either way. <laughs> that can go either way. Well, Comer was none the wiser because Joseph even helped him board up the broken windows. I can't believe people would just do this around the windows. It's like someone was trying to infiltrate a CIA operative kind of location that's happening across the street from the best shoemaker and the universe. Interesting. I mean, you know, it would have been a dead giveaway if he threw shoes through the window. <laughs> oh, so yeah. No, I no. guess, you know, he, he knew, knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, he knew to cover up his tracks. Keeping yeah. it quiet. Yeah, literally. Yeah, he's yeah. not a Mega Man villain with shoes. <laughs> right, right. Um, every time that Joseph would help Comer replace the glass, 
the next night, be out there with ball barons. Again, breaking the next one. He did it again and again and again until finally Comer replaced the glass with pretty much bulletproof shit. So if you're Comer, aren't you just like, my neighbor, he loves it when he has to come and help me fix my windows. Like he laughs and says, this won't be the last time. I just it's- wanted to spend an afternoon with you. You know, just really kind of spend an afternoon. I wonder where you put the microphones inside of my asshole. Interesting. But no, it's and like, what do you do with, with when you're a comer having to constantly redo your windows and be like, huh, well... My shoes are due Friday, and I just feel like if I could just get, once I get the shoes out of there, then <laughs> right. we can handle this whole thing. But I need those shoes. Those are my lucky shoes. Didn't, no neighbors were like, oh, yeah, we see him every night. No. Go out and smash well, all your windows. Well, he was doing it from the window of his house. <laughs> God, so he's thrown it across the street. <laughs> Man, that is a dream come true, though, <laughs> just to be able to take your neighbor's windows out and get away with it. Well, after the bulletproof glass was put up, I mean, Joe had no recourse <laughs> or at least he thought he had no recourse. So to escape the watchful eye of the CIA, he covered up all the windows on his store with dark screens. Mm. And this action only made Joseph's problems worse because the screens cut off both light and air from the outside, meaning that this man, who was already suffering from full-blown schizophrenia, was now working day and night in an unventilated room Constantly inhaling glue. I don't want to be anything. I I don't want to be like, oh, mister, get on my soapbox and start talking about how Nike makes their shoes. (laughs) Um, But it's still the exact same way. But instead of a man, it's a bunch of children in in countries that don't have a lot of economic means. Because they work with enthusiasm. (laughs) Ah, I see. But can you imagine that? I mean, he is already full-blown schizophrenic, and then he becomes an unwitting glue huffer. Hey. That is the worst kind. <laughs> it just you seems. Imagine that. I think he kind of liked it. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the smell of glue. You know what was the uh, the rubber cement? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rubber oh, cement. the kids were all. Sixth grade was the year of rubber cement. <laughs> no, I had this. That black, was crazy. I had this black bag filled with the old school like poison markers, like the old oh, school art I markers. Those. Just sticking your head in there. Oh. Man, what a good afternoon you'd have. Yeah, we had no <laughs> idea what we were doing. I think they took rubber cements out of school though. You just get that uh, womp, yeah. womp, oh. womp, 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 womp. Oh my god. Womp. Well, huff and glue may partly be the reason why Joseph started the hole. Mm. At the beginning of 1969, Joseph bought a house on East Hagert Street to use as a warehouse. But he also planned to turn it into both his own private retreat, place to get away from the wife and kids, and... As a pathway to hell. Yeah. So this is no ma'am. <laughs> so he is Al Bundy. Well, this is where it, um, maybe you could say it gets dark. It starts getting real dark right about now. Yeah. Okay. And so on the command of the devil, Joseph forced his five children to rip up the floorboards of this house in the middle of February and dig a 20-foot hole straight into the ground. And this mm. is where Marcus called me. We were going through all stuff, and he was just like, Henry, Henry. And I was like, Marcus, what are you doing? It's one o'clock in the morning. Why, why are you calling? Are you, is everything okay? Are you okay? Is Caroline okay? He's like, 
they had a dream childhood. Joe Callens <laughs> used to wake his kids up in the middle of the night uh-huh. just to go dig strange holes. <laughs> Interesting. And I was like, this is not a fantasy. This is not space camp. You're misrepresenting. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Although I could actually see that being the tale. What's your point counterpoint, Marcus? Uh, no, I just said, like, if it wasn't insane, if he right. wasn't a crazy serial killer, ripping up the floorboards of an old house and digging a hole straight down into the ground and your dad's helping you out and he's putting up all these supports and you don't know what the hole's for. All you know is you get to dig a hole dig with a your sh- brothers and sisters. Yeah. How much fun is that? In you the know, first hour, yeah. it's, in the first hour, the song like, don't work together. <laughs> come on, come on. I could see how like the Sister Act 2 montage is kind of happening. But an hour six <laughs> right. of digging the hole when the sun is coming up and you're still like, Deepa! Gotta get in there. I gotta see China. Because that's what he did say. He was like, I wish I could dig a hole so much that I would come out on the other side and then, oh, this whole world would slide inside of this hole. But as he's doing this monologue to himself, the kids are just like, when can we stop? (laughs) Is it over yet? In reality, it would be terrifying and awful and abusive. But in a dream world, you got... A garbage digging daddy. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like you get garbage to go. Garbage digging daddy. <laughs> yeah. That's in a dream world, though. Uh, of it does course. not exist. Can you yeah. imagine wife swap with this guy? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So then, of course, the earth is filled with molten lava. Yeah. So that, that, that doesn't make it very fun. You don't come through the other side. Well, when the hole was finally done, Joseph banished the children from the home forever. He would climb a ladder down to the bottom of the hole with only a candle for light and stick the candle into the mud walls. Now, this is the only place he could feel any sort of peace. He said by this point, the, sh- the shop and the house were so filled with noise in his own head that he's like, I gotta really get to, I, I gotta get to the message. I gotta get to the center of the message. And then he would climb down his hole and be like, this is where I could actually, well, okay, yeah. that's what's nice. Well, maybe it was all the glue that was being uh, in the air there. It could be. Could be. Uh, once he got down into the hole, he would either masturbate or defecate or both, and he slowly began to fill the hole with his own semen and feces as a part of a twisted personal ritual that only made sense to him. Okay. Well, now, I mean, how much... Uh, how much <laughs> would you have to crap to fill a 20-foot hole? That's the point. That's why you got to make the hole as deep as you can so right. you don't have to be worrying about what about the supply and demand of the shit that's needed here. Right. But he used to sit in his hole and literally be like, okay, what's a small sub missing? What's a... Ah, there's a spot. Like he would just shit a turd out and he would literally believe it to give him power. And every time he shat and then he would come on the shit, his uh-huh. own shit, uh-huh. and he would be like, okay... Yeah, that's that's nice. It's like having a cup of coffee. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know what that solves. Yeah. It's I don't like know doing what that 35 solves. 35 minutes on the elliptical for him. Okay, interesting. And then one night, as he was in the hole, the voices came. Oh, in the hole? That's it, his safe space. That's the problem. Didn't the voices know that's his safe space? He heard a voice that sounded very similar to his own say, and this is just a partial reading of what Joseph said. Quote, Pestara, Kyristara, Kyrie, Maria. And it went on and on and on like that. Sounds like something Ash read in the Book of the Dead. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, just nonsense word after nonsense word. And Joseph said that he had no idea where the voice was coming from. 
And then finally, he pressed his index finger to his own throat and discovered that the words were coming from his own mouth. Think about how scary that is. Oh. All right, now, again, step back. Whoop. Take a zoom out. Oh, I'm sorry, you just stepped on uh, your human feces. Oh. <laughs> It was in such a fun I, shape. It was shaped like a question mark. No, I know. That's why I told you about <laughs> I that. I said yeah. just a little dollop of poop on there to give it the punctuation mark. Yeah, I know. I know. Sorry about that. But you look at this. He is his own separate space. He has dug a 20-foot hole into an actual building. It is filled with his common shit. <laughs> you are. You are so sick that you don't understand. You are actually talking. Yeah. That you right. are hearing these voices. But it's you talking to yourself. And he only understood after he, he felt the vibrations of his of his neck, right? After he felt the vibrations, yeah. Now, I don't think this question matters, and nor should I really be asking it, but did he, <laughs> if he had to pee, did he get out of the hole? <laughs> or did he just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be pissing on my shit on my cum. That's my shit on my cum. My <laughs> piss is uh, that goes in the toilet. So you put, okay. So. You're my favorite customer. No, I'll always you. remind you of that. I, I thank you so much for coming to my living room. I know. That's, I'm a size 14. You charged me double. I know what happens. Do you want a cup of coffee? I would, is that? Yeah, you want some? Yeah, right? Is it yeah, actual yeah, coffee? Come on, yeah, we're hanging out. If it's actual coffee, I'll yeah, have yeah, some. Yeah, it's coffee. Yeah. Yes, I see you pooping in the. I see you pooping in the mug. You can see me do this. Yeah. Are you for the fucking CIA? <laughs> can I have my shoes, please? Well, on another night after that, after taking a particularly large dump in the hole, <laughs> because he said that like the bigger the dump, the better the idea. Feel- and he said he had a dump that was so big. That it released him entirely, and I'm not going to say I don't understand. <laughs> no, this is there, the thinker. There are some times, because you've ever done this, and I'm going to you know, I'm going to say this for the casual viewer. If you're not a, if you're not a person who tours for a living, but sometimes you get to the hotel and you got fucking, you're you got to get out of there. You're checked out. Yeah, you've been drinking a lot of beer. Yeah, sure. maybe ate something at 12:30 at night, right? On fucking, tour, you do. You're on tour, touring right? life, and you got to wake up and you know, like, huh. My shit's going to come at some point. I think it's I space it to. out. Yeah. And I like it for when you get on the plane for that first time. And you just unleash a couple of dirty snakes. <laughs> on the plane. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, and those my. are talking about good as motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Yeah. I do. By flushing. And it's, but you do feel like, oh, huh. Like your shoes are bigger. Yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> when you really get, uh, you feel cleansed for sure. I, I read uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. That's all. That's all that goop is about. God, her pussy's got to be so strong. I have no idea. <laughs> well, after Joseph took that particularly large dump, he decided that it was time to bring the punishments of his childhood to the lives of his own children. Uh oh. See, the Calendar kids weren't exactly what you'd call model students. No. Joseph and Betty had raised a family of chain-smoking teenage Philadelphia street toughs. I mean, these were hooligans. They stole from the blind. They snatched purses from old ladies. And they're, they're ten. The, and they're the, d- like t- between ten and fourteen years old. They're the little rascals. They are they're just like the horribly violent thieves. Well, oh my goodness! I know. <laughs> yes. If the little rascals were real, they would have knives. <laughs> yes, of course <laughs> they would. Like, damn, let's burn it down. Ready to go. I mean, what can you expect? They don't get any sleep at night. Oh, they're no. surrounded by garbage. You know, oh, hanging no. out with their dead, digging holes all night. No, I, I mean, I'm not blaming the kids here. They were raised in an absolutely horrific environment. They started to fend for themselves, and they went feral. But the only methods Joseph knew as far as discipline went were physical, painful, and cruel. 
So, he set up the cellar of his home as a straight-up torture chamber, and all this came from the time he spent alone in his literal shithole. <laughs> you know, I really don't appreciate when they call it a shithole. <laughs> this is my sanctuary. <laughs> he used rope, rubber hoses, straight pins, strips of leather, and, taking influence from his father, a homemade cat of nine tails. Joseph called this stuff his, quote, educational materials and he took it seriously in fact he said that he took this just as seriously as he'd taken his experiments with the hamsters with the what <laughs> the hamsters with the hamsters yes yeah, now okay this takes a little bit of explaining remember joseph had received a commandment from god when he was 15 to save mankind through the miracle of orthopedics again Positive. Positive. Don't mind that one. Sure. And Joseph, he'd never stop trying to crack the code. Right. In fact, when Joseph's father was in hospice in 1971, Stephen died with Joseph vigorously rubbing his feet, trying to keep the old man alive just a little longer. Just felt good, though. You know Joseph Callinger just to rapidly. Come on, daddy. <laughs> Get these feet back and going all daddy. <laughs> Licking the things. And then yeah. the father literally going like, please let me. Done. Yeah, please yeah. let me slip away. Who doesn't love a good foot rub, though, you know? Well, one of Joseph's favorite things to say was this, quote, The feet control the brain. They're God's magic gift to us. I, I agree with him. <laughs> the feet do control the brain. And to really give you a peek into the mind of Joseph Callinger, we're going to read excerpts from The Shoemaker, in which I will play Flora Schreiber, while Henry will play Joseph, talking about those experiments with the hamsters. And Henry is going to read this verbatim. This is verbatim. All right. And now, this is a part of... People wonder where these characters come from. If we're going to make up all these characters, we're going to talk with these people. I was really... I really wanted to showcase a little bit of what Joseph Callinger is really like so you can see that there's very little exaggeration. Yeah. This, right. There's nothing added here. There are no jokes. This is verbatim what Joseph Callinger told Flora Schreiber. Mm. Did he like the hamsters because they had four feet? You're going to find <laughs> okay, out. Find You're going to find out, out right. everything he so knows about the hamsters. All right. All right. Joseph, in what way did you take this experiment seriously? Well, I'd already done over 40,000 experiments, most of them on myself, some on my wife and kids. I'd even talked the mailman into letting me put wedges into his shoes, so I did a few on him, but I'd never done experiments on animals before. What were you going to do with them? I was going to make little shoes for their feet and little wedges to put into the shoes. I figured I'd get a lot of information that way. I wanted to experiment on the connection between the hamster's feet and their brains. Now, if they listened to me and did what I told them, then I would have known that the wedges and the little shoes that I made for them were doing them good by giving them greater durability and intelligence. They'd be, ob then they'd be obedient to me, their master. When I got them home to East Fletcher Street, I saw that there was no way I could make shoes and wedges for my hamsters. Their feet were too tiny. <laughs> but I knew I could go on with the second part of the experiment, the connection between obedience and intelligence, even without the shoes. To make sure I didn't get the hamsters mixed up, they all looked alike, you know, all the same color brown, same class, hamsters. I put a name tag on the right rear leg of each one. I called them Winko, Popsicle, Jelly Roll, and Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> then I put them into a large cage with a small wheel in it. I knew that the best way to test their intelligence and their ability was on the wheel. If they had intelligence, then they would listen to me. If they had their ability, they'd listen to survive. To obey is the one test of intelligence. To survive is another, right? Right? 
Joseph, how in the world did you expect the hamsters to listen to you when they don't speak any human language? I spoke to them in English like I'm talking to you. I pulled up a chair right next to the cage and I sat down. I told the hamsters everything I was going to do. It was very important to the future of mankind, I said, that they obey me. I told them their feet were too small for me to make shoes and wedges. But I promised to make them little hats and suits, even though I'm not a tailor, if they listened to me and survived. Flora, they understood every word I said. What did the hamsters answer you? Nothing. That was my second disappointment with them. First, I found I couldn't make wedges for their feet. Then I couldn't get them interested in my experiment. They didn't even perk up their ears when I told them about the hats and the suits. But I knew they understood me, all right? They played foxy to throw me off my guard. They didn't listen. They didn't seem to want to get it. Uh. While I talked, they ignored me. So Joseph decided that he wasn't going to be ignored anymore. Oh, oh man. Honestly, these hamsters, you just imagine being one of the hamsters, though, just looking at him and be like, what the hell is going on, guys? Literally, it's like <laughs> this it's guy is just screaming at her. What are we supposed to do? It's if Ratatouille was in Saw. <laughs> <laughs> so Joseph forced the hamsters to get on their little hamster wheel. Then he'd sit and poke them with the pencil for hours forcing them to run until one by one, they all piss themselves and die. Mm. <laughs> this is so... Re- yeah, uh, this right. is what I'm talking about. But it's it, perfect I mean, Honestly, us. though, it's like, make them the shoes if you're going to force them to run that much. They're so small. Well, you, you sound completely insane. <laughs> but I could have made them suits. Now, this was, of course, a failure of an experiment. But had Joseph succeeded, he was going to build a huge laboratory with wheels big enough for elephants and lions, prisoners and mental patients, all wearing his special wedges. This is straight up, though, if he was, if they did stay uh, Austrian. Yeah, I guess if they did, if they were around during the Mengele era. Yeah. He would have been the shoemaker of Auschwitz. <laughs> Honestly. He really would have been, because th- these experiments are so wackadoo. Well, uh, later on in the, in the second episode, uh, he uses techniques that he said he learned from the Nazis. Ugh. And in this experiment, as goofy and as cruel as it is, Joseph had crossed a line. For the first time, Joseph had killed another living thing. And even though he didn't know it yet, this was his first step towards murder Mm. and it began with his kids the punishments started getting even worse because joseph started taking them down to the cellar one at a time but only after midnight when a huge clock with a skull where the number 12 should be emerged from the darkness now the clock hallucination would always be preceded by an itch in joseph's left palm when he felt this itch he knew his kids had done something wrong, so he'd wait until after midnight, then he'd shake him awake and take him down to the cellar where they'd get straight pins thrown at him, whipped with the cat of nine tails, whatever he felt like doing that night. He mm. had this one thing that was like a box of rocks. He would like collect this thing. It was a little kind of like a weird little, like a, like one of those cigarette boxes, whatever it was, those weird little pallet things, and he'd have a meal on it for hours. Mm. Then in 1972, the voices changed. It was no longer the voice of the devil that was commanding Joseph to do things. It was the voice of Dom DeLuise. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, we all just laughed at Dom DeLuise while he was dying. Yes. (laughs) See, 
Joseph could resist the devil most of the time because it was the devil. It was the devil. Yeah, the, those commands were only urges. Okay. So he only followed the advice of the devil when he felt like it. But God, but God was the soul and the brain guy, right? God, mm-hmm. God was God was telling him to do good things. God okay. was his boss. Yeah. Okay. All right. But on New Year's Day, when Joseph was thirty-five, the same figure that had appeared to him when he was fifteen showed back up and said, "Quote, Joseph, I control you now." <laughs> And Joseph knew that this was the voice of God. From then on, Joseph felt as if he had no choice but to follow the commandments of the voice he was hearing, no matter how awful or violent those commandments might be. The first violent episode came just a few weeks after God took over. Mary, Joe, and Joey, hoping to escape the abuse that they were suffering at the hands of their father, ran away from home. They'd been gone for two days before Joseph decided to go out looking for him. So he put his forty-five automatic pistol into his belt, hailed a taxi, and directed the driver to troll the streets looking for a couple of teenagers. Is that normal for a taxi driver? <laughs> At some point, aren't you just like, am I trolling for you to murder someone? No, totally not. I don't, compli- I don't want to be complicit in that, so give a destination or... My destination is straight to the pits of hell. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. No, I mean, taxi drivers, I think, were more pliant back in the day. (laughs) Well, finally, Joseph saw his kids coming out of a movie theater with a couple of friends. So Joseph jumped out of the car, pointed his gun into his own children's faces, and told them to get in the cab. When they got home, Joseph told Betty to take little Jimmy and little Michael out to get pizza and not to come home until he said so. See, Joseph had begun to develop what you might call a crush on his own daughter. He never did anything sexual with her, but prior to this incident, he had begun what he himself called a courtship. He said in his own words, he's like, I began to notice she's a, she's a beautiful young lady, and she seems to be held in esteem by other men in the neighborhood. But I won't let her have him. I wouldn't let him have him. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Stern Show once again, Mr. Trump. Really appreciate you being here. Howard said he loved it. Howard said he always loves the way you talk about his daughter. Anyway, you know, you're going to be president in five years. No shit. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, the two of them, they hung out. They went to the movies. They went to dinner. In essence, they were dating. Well, she was just hanging out with her father. Yeah. He was dating her. Yeah. And he'd buy her jewelry. And he would do all this kind of stuff where she she was this pure thing to him. Great. Okay, so now we're... Are we talking about leaving Neverland again? No. What's going on? <laughs> Never okay. again. All right. And strangely, during those few weeks, Joseph said he didn't have a single hallucination. Although that may have just been a way for him to justify dating his own daughter to Flora Schreiber. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe, Marcus. Not sure. I don't know. Because no. there are other things that he fully admitted to that are much worse than mm-hmm. this. Okay. Now, we have no way to know uh, if that or really if any of this is true. But when Mary Jo left, Joseph had a break. And now he was going to get his revenge on behalf of the God living inside his head who told him to do all this. First, he took Joey to the kitchen and handcuffed him to the fridge before dropping a butcher knife on the floor just out of reach just to scare him. Then he took a spatula from the kitchen and a rope from the cellar, and returned to the living room where his daughter was waiting. He forced her to strip down to her underwear, then he bound her wrists and ankles with rope. After that, Joseph brought out his kerosene stove and turned it on, setting the spatula on the flame. 
After leaving it there heating for five minutes, Joseph picked it up and under his God's command, burned his daughter's bare thigh. And while he was burning her, he was saying over and over again in a sing-song voice, you will never run away from me again. You'll never run away from me again, little girl, my little pancake. You'll never run away again. Can you imagine that? And you're just, and the other, your other kid is just fucking handcuffed to a refrigerator, yeah, watching right. you burn your daughter. And a part of it is like he said that it was so that she couldn't have sex with other boys. Yeah, because there was another family that was becoming close to those the kids, the strong family, the strong family, and he was watching them, yeah. like again and again, literally driving past, going, "Gotta live with my kids." Yeah, and you know, bad daddy. Yeah, yeah, crazy stuff happening. Then he took the spatula back to the kitchen, washed it, and returned it to the drawer. After that, he turned his attentions back to Joey. He took the hammer, removed the metal head, and beat his son with the wooden handle. Then, when he was done, Joseph went down to the cellar and corrected himself with orthopedic experiments. Yep. And you saw that he did the same hmm. thing, too, when he, be, he said to, to, the, to his son... I'm, I'm saving you. Yeah. Because my mother hit me with the head of the hammer. Yeah. And after he was done, he came back up and gave each of the kids five dollars in coins for their troubles. Saying, like, I'm sorry I had to educate you. And when Betty finally called, Joseph told her to come back home, and the whole family sat down for a pizza dinner. The thing was, it could have been a lot worse. Joseph didn't follow his God's complete instructions. What the God delusion had actually told Joseph to do was to shove the burning hot spatula into his own daughter's vagina to, quote, sizzle out the badness so the goodness would come back. And over the coming years, those instructions would get more and more dangerous, more and more brutal, more and more insane, until finally they resulted in three murders, including the murder of one of Joseph's own children. Yep. And that's where we'll pick back up next week on The Shoemaker Part 2. All right, there it is. Interesting story. This guy seems to have the, uh, it seems like a perfect storm at this point. Well, we haven't even even gotten to the fucking murders. Yeah. We're going to show that this next episode is one of the most, because I think it's very interesting is how this happened over a very small period of time, which is very similar to Richard Trace, which you see that with other serial killers, Mm. right, is that they develop their methods and then they kind of, they hone them and they they have their rest periods and they do all that kind of shit where the one half happens they get it they get it out of their system and then the, the the desire builds back up where with him is that we're going to see the um what's going to happen the shift in his hallucinations are going to like up the tempo of all of his activity mm. yeah it's all all of his all three of his murders happen over a period of i think about six months yes uh but the uh mm-hmm. and then like it's it, it does but the uh, last murder could have been 10 All right. We'll get into all that on uh, the conclusion on the next episode. Absolutely. Um, All right. That'll be next week. The Shoemaker Part 2. I I wonder if his shoe... Does he have any shoes that he made... Wonder if there's any still out there. Oh, there must be. There has to be because uh, these were like shoes that lasted a lifetime. Yeah, that probably is. Probably yeah. are. Yeah, calendar shoes. Calendar shoes. And, All right. And I want to uh, thank uh, UK Neil uh, out there in uh, England who first turned us on to the shoemaker. Uh, See, for- UK Neil. That's who I was talking <laughs> yeah, about at the start of the show. Well, yeah. we both have one. But I feel like it's because we just have <clears throat> copies of this book somehow, mm-hmm. and you're reading, and it really does page. It goes by, but it's this deepening 
kind of sickening feeling yeah mm. of just being like wow like this is what happens when you're almost total control of somebody who is an unbridled unbridled untreated mental illness and also is known nothing but pain mm-hmm. well i wonder if they even had do they even have drugs like pharmaceutical drugs to treat something like this <laughs> I mean, they dope them up with thorazine yeah, and yeah shit. exactly yeah. but i mean you know that's not really that don't really work if yeah. you want to have the functioning lifestyle still. I mean, he needed intensive therapy and hospitalization. Right. Uh, I mean, considering his uh, extreme childhood abuse, I mean, th- this guy just didn't have a fucking chance. Right. Yeah. All right. But Bork. speaking of the UK. Speaking of not having a chance. Uh-oh. We <laughs> no. got some exciting news. We're coming back to England. Yeah. yeah. We're coming back to England. We're coming to Australia. We are, uh, we can't, do, we're not doing the f- specific dates yet. But we're coming to you, and we want to know. We're, it's the, they are booked, and they're they're coming out the pipe. Yeah, they uh, all like a couple dates- of inspirational dukes. <laughs> all right, the, uh, all of the dates are going to be on uh, the website lastpodcastontheleft.com this Monday, uh, so you can see all our dates there. But yeah, we're coming to England. Uh, we're coming to Ireland. We're coming to Scotland. We're coming to Scotland. We're, we're coming to Australia. Australia. Um, and also, do we have fans in Stockholm? And do, in Berlin. Do we Berlin. have fans there? If you if you are there and you want to see us, let us know because we have a couple of potential dates and we want to know if y'all want to see us there because we'd love to go to Berlin. We'd love, love to go to, to Stockholm. Love to go to Stockholm. Love to go to Berlin. So if you're a listener out there, reach out and uh, we'll try to make those shows happen. I cannot wait to get back to the UK and cannot wait to see Australia for the first time. It's going to be great. It's I'm, our world tour. Oh, two countries. Back in well, a habit, baby. You know, we're missing key portions of the world. <laughs> but we are, yeah, for us, this is pretty big. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? yeah We've never absolutely. been asked to go to other countries. No. 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 Except for the last time we went to another country. That was nice. <laughs> yes. But we, like, and asked we, them, essentially. Yeah. and we But we've also got a ton of uh, U.S. states coming out, too. So we're not just going to other countries. We're going to be coming to a ton of. I think we're going to do 10, 11 cities in the United States this year. We got a lot of dates coming up, and all those are going to be uh, announced very, very soon. Also, be fun. we want to say say thank you to your pretty face going to hell and Adult Swim for sponsoring the first leg of our U.S. tour. Uh, we are going to be. We're excited to see you. Did you just thank yourself? I, I guess so. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. No, no it's like thank I don't you. make these. Deci- I don't make these decisions. Adult Swim. Yeah, they're sponsoring the first leg of the U.S. tour. Absolutely awesome. Your pretty face is going to hell. When can people watch it, Henry? We're coming out Friday, May third. It is finally being released. We're fucking so excited. We've we've had these in the can for a fucking while, but I'm really really excited for see for you guys to see these batches of episodes because I think they're really fucking good. Awesome. Make sure you check those out. Want to thank everyone who came out to our show at the Bell House. Uh, really exciting. Always wonder. Wonderful to see all of you. Yes, thank you very much. Um, and can't wait to see you in beautiful Nashville, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. Yeah, yes. uh, we're going to have a great time. Yeah. Um, so, yes, thank you all so much for listening. We absolutely love you. Keep on supporting all the shows here on the LPN Network. Feel free to go to iTunes, rate and review, all that kind of stuff. It really helps us out. Um, it makes people, it makes our parents think that we're really doing it <laughs> because they still don't believe that this has ever been a recorded show. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to understand. It's, ha- it's hard to have people understand what we do. No, it means a great deal. Thank you yes. guys for your constant support. Thank, thank you, you for giving much. to the goddamn Patreon for all that. Who are chant? Absolutely. We have a fun interview, Henry and I do with the dude behind Hell Year, which is a really fun documentary about the Kentucky Goblins. So check that out this week. 
And uh, yeah, top hat for everything political. Check out page seven if you want to hear the beautiful Jackie Zabrowski. Um, just check out all the shows on the LPN network. Yeah. Um, anything else? Uh, you can go uh, follow uh, Last Podcast Network at Last Pod Network on Instagram and Twitter, and we'll let you know when uh, new episodes shows yeah. come out. If you want to get ready for our batch of tours this year, go to LastPodcastLive.com and watch last year's live show. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah, fuckers. Hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Again. Hail me. Magustalations one and all. Honestly, support your local businesses, even if they're run by absolute total maniacs. <laughs> I mean, who knows? The day I don't even think there's a shoemaker around anymore. Yeah, there's one around the corner. But now here. they're very expensive. Oh, I see. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Yeah.